guess kids can go to children's church. <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for being able to sing to your praise. And we thank you for your work of grace in our lives to save us so we want to sing to you. And we thank you that you've given us your word. And we pray now that you would open it to us and that you would help us, uh, help us to understand it better and to serve you more faithfully. And we pray these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Now, I'm trying to get this iPad to work. Aha, uh -huh, there it is. <coughs> Bonnie and Woody were recent converts. And they came with their three children who were in that awkward, you know, late elementary, early uh, middle school age, Jennifer and Susan and Allison. And uh, from the get-go, these were people who were faithful. You could count on them. Whenever the church door was open, they were there. And they wanted to learn all that the Lord had to teach them. They were regulars. And so when Sunday morning worship arrived, worship arrived, they were all in their places with bright, shiny faces. So this one Sunday, I am standing in the foyer at Bethany Church, and up the stairs come Bonnie first, and then the girls, and Woody after them. Bonnie greeted me very warmly. And then I hear from the back, there's a little pause, and then I hear from the back. <clears throat> I don't make anything of it other than Woody is clearing his throat. And then, in the next moment, there was this awkwardness. Uh, the girls turn and look at me a little sheepishly. They make eye contact and they smile a little. And then almost in unison they say, Good morning, Mr. Peters. The <clears throat> from the back was the sign that they were supposed to pay attention to the adult that was in their presence. I wish I could have recorded it. It was really a wonderful moment. As they went by, uh, Woody glanced at me and rolled his eyes and then went in with them to find his seat. How followers of Jesus choose to greet one another is a big deal. The Bible is filled with examples of greeting God, greeting one another. For example, Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Or there's an old, old Hebrew salutation in Samuel. Peace be to you. 
Peace be to those in your home. Peace be to all that you have. And in the book of Romans, Paul tells us, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 this morning. If you have a Bible, electronic device, please turn to it. God warmly greets us, welcomes us into his presence. And based on his model, then he encourages us to do the same thing. To greet one another warmly. You say, well, how shall we look at these verses? Let's look at them first by reading them. Simeon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have been to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What shall we do with those? Well, they are broken really into three kind of easy to follow sections. First, there is the writer who's named, and then after him, his audience, and then after that, his greeting, and after we've looked at those three sections that kind of tumble out at us, then we'll ask ourselves, well, what do we do with this this next week? It's really about the question, how do you say hello? And as Bill mentioned, yes, the Lord willing, in the next few weeks, we'll bump in and out of 2 Peter, uh, be interrupted a little bit by, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. But essentially, we want to work our way through this book. Who's the writer? Who's his audience? What's his greeting? What do we do with it? That's how we want to approach this thing. So let's start with who is the audience and what does it say in your Bible? What's the first word? Simeon Peter, right? And you say to me, well, wait a minute. I think, I've always thought, that the writer of 1 Peter and 2 Peter was Simon Peter. What's this Simeon Peter thing? Where does that come from? It's a good question. Um, and there's a very simple answer. But, but think about Simon Peter or Simeon Peter. There is another reference over in Acts chapter 15 to Simeon Peter. I think it's verse 14. You might want to check that out. But you say to me, well, I think about him as having been the brother of Andrew, uh, the man of the sea who had a small fishing business with James and John. Uh, one of the first disciples of Jesus. Uh, this is the person that I've always thought, uh, well, Jesus rebuked him. I think he's the writer of 2 Peter. 
And I also see him with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's the first missionary to the Gentiles, right? And you are exactly right. Simon Peter is, as best we can tell, the writer of 2 Peter. And he's called Simeon Peter for a very simple reason. It's an Aramaic or Hebrew transliteration of the word Simon. It's no big deal. Simon Peter is the writer of 2, Tim of 2 Peter. And yes, it is the case. Uh, the Gospels... Uh, tell us that he's Simon, that's his given name as a child, and Peter, that's the name that Jesus gave him, and he is a man who didn't live up to his name very well. Remember? As, Paul, uh, as uh, Bill mentioned earlier, he walks on the water, and he gets scared when he sees the winds and the waves, and he cries out to Jesus. He falls asleep while Jesus is about to be arrested, um, when the soldiers actually come, he takes a sword and lops off the ear of the high priest servant Malchus. He denies Jesus three times. But Jesus reinstates him. And uh, it's a great encouragement to all of us. That is the Peter that we know. He's a miracle worker. He is a missionary. And church historians tell us, the Bible doesn't say this, but church historians tell us that he met his death as a martyr in Rome, crucified upside down. Now, that summary that I just gave you is almost exclusively from the Gospels and the Book of Acts and uh, from the Epistles. But please look at verse 1 again. There's another way in which Peter identifies himself, and it's not with all of these anecdotal uh, snippets that we just recounted. He identifies himself there as Simeon Peter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. All the details that we rattled off about him previously do not focus on his relationship to Christ the way these two words do. He says, first of all, that he sees himself, he identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. And to get the idea, flip over in your Bible, if you will, to Romans chapter 6, and uh, look at verse 19. There, P there Paul says, Just as you have presented your members as slaves to impurity, leading to more, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's the same word that Peter uses here when he describes himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Let's imagine it. Let's try to take what Paul says there in Romans uh, 6 and put some flesh and blood on it, his description. Here's a guy who is struggling with pornography. 
He's a follower of Jesus, but it gets him every time he turns around. And he makes promises to the Lord. No more. From now on, Lord, it's going to be you and me like this together. And you know what happens in 10 minutes or 10 seconds or 10 hours? He's right back at his polluted ways. He's back at his impurity. Well, Peter uses the notion of that kind of bondage to describe his relationship to Jesus, except it's from the other side. It's not where he is struggling against something awful from which he wants to extricate himself. It's the other thing. I am glad that I am bound to Christ. I've relinquished all of my rights because Jesus died on the cross for me. So Peter sees himself as slave, but that's not all. He also calls himself an apostle, a sent one, a delegate, a messenger. He's glad that he's tied to Jesus, and he's glad to pass on the message that Jesus has given him. He belongs to Christ absolutely because Jesus has purchased his freedom and he is under authority to bear Christ's name wherever the Lord Jesus wants to send him. And whatever else we might want to say about Peter, fisherman, businessman, husband, whatever else we might want to say, all of those roles come underneath and are controlled by this dominant relationship that he has with Christ, he's both slave and messenger. So, who's the author of 2 Peter? Well, you got it right. Simon Peter, Andrew's brother. And why recap his story? Just as a reminder, he has a quite a path. And so do you, don't you? And what we see in Peter's story is God's faithfulness to him. And what we see in God's word is his promise to be faithful to you wherever your path has led you this last week or last year or this last life that you have. Wherever you've been, the Lord promises he's going to be faithful to you. Now, this idea of who you are, slave, messenger, helps you then when it comes to the question, how do I say hello? How do I greet people? But let's go on now. Let's ask ourselves, to whom is Peter writing these words? We aren't told. We don't know where these people lived. We don't know anything about their ethnicity. Um, we don't know their economic state or their education. All of that is left. Scholars surmise, based on the word Simeon, that Peter is writing to the same group of people that he addressed in 1 Peter. And if you look back to 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll see how they're addressed. They're elect people who have been scattered, 
who live in Cappadocia and Galatia, in essence, it looks as if 1 Peter is addressed to Jews who, have, who are living basically in what is now modern-day Turkey. And so we think that that's probably the same group to whom Peter is writing now. There is one little bit of information about them that we don't want to skip. He says in this little introduction, uh, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can say that these people are followers of Jesus, they're Christians, they're devoted to him. And we can also say that they have faith that is like Peter's. And then there's a little digression. They have received their faith as a gift from God. Do you see it there? To those who have, to those who have obtained a faith that's of equal standing to ours. That's the way Peter says it. It's very much like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's, that, it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And we might summarize it like this. Though Peter is an, a, a noted apostle and church leader, he and his audience are on common ground. Peter doesn't have a superior position with the Lord because of any of the things that he did or didn't do. Um, neither are his readers farther down because they aren't an apostle or haven't suffered the way Peter suffered. And that is to say that they, with him, and we with them, are on equal playing field where? At the foot of the cross, right? The cross is the great leveler. And this raises an important question. When you think about yourself, your own identity, how do you think about yourself in relation to other people? You a follower of Christ? How do you think about yourself in relation to those around you? Are you better than they? You have a leg up on them because maybe you know more Bible verses or something? You can do a better job on Ephesians chapter 4? No, we're in this together. The cross is the great leveler. Well, having said that, Peter now goes on with another idea. He says that these people are of equal standing, but now he says that uh, perhaps another idea on level standing. The context of 2 Peter is one where the apostle is warning, people, uh, warning his readers against false doctrine. And there's a similar idea over in Jude chapter 1. Similar kind of warning. Watch out for people who teach 
things that are inconsistent with the scriptures. And then the writer makes reference to this, um, this common faith that once for all has been delivered to the saints. Now Peter writes this little short book because he's anticipating he won't live very much longer. And he wants to assure those to whom he's writing that they are not second-class Christians, neither are they embracing a second-class Christianity. It's not something that's inferior to anything that he believed or that the other apostles believed. Simply put, it has come to them by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're complete in their salvation. They have a salvation that is designed just for their needs and has been applied by this Trinitarian God. And that's the case with you, too. Your salvation has been accomplished by Christ. It's been applied to you, and you can rest in it. So Peter's the author, first of all. He's writing to an unknown group of first century Christians. And that brings us then to this third question, what's his greeting? And that really takes us to the core of his interest in these dear people. Verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied in, your, in you in the knowledge of God and our Savior, Jesus our Lord. Now, grace and peace. That's a formula that we find throughout the New Testament. There are probably, there are at least a dozen, I counted them up, there are at least a dozen places where we find the phrasing, grace and peace to you, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. It's an important concept. Well, what do we mean by grace? It's an easy way to remember it, and if you already know this, you know, just bear with me. It's not for you if you already know it. It's an easy way to remember the meaning of grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. G, God, God's, R, riches, A, at, C, Christ's expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's good stuff that we receive from the Lord, primarily salvation, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done in his generosity toward us. It's unfavored, it's unmerited favor. What about peace? Well, peace is a pretty common, important term in the Old Testament, translated shalom. It's the idea of um, well-being, harmony, wholeness, tranquility. Grace and peace to you. Rest in what God has done for you. Um, grace to you. Unmerited favor. He's smiling on you. You know how the, New uh, how the Old Testament talks about our relationship to God. He's rejoicing over you with joy. He's resting in his love. He's joying over you with salvation. That's your status before the Lord today. And then Peter goes on and he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
The Lord isn't niggardly in the way in which he dispenses his kindness. He's lavish. And so Peter is praying for that. Not a few add-ons, a little bit of grace, a little bit of peace. Lord, multiply it in these people's lives. That's the prayer of his salutation. Now here's the question, though. How do we get in on the receiving end of all these good things about which Peter is praying? Well, look at the rest of the verse. It says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter had come to experience God's grace and peace. Andrew introduces him. He says, we've found the Messiah. On that stormy night, he's there and the Lord stretches out his hand to him. Peter knew the healing, grace, and power that comes from Jesus. He knew the presence of God's peace in difficult circumstances. And they came along the path of knowing Jesus personally. You want more peace and grace in your life? Then work at getting to know the Lord. That would be one of the inferences here. Now, step back with me a little bit and think about the, the church around the world. Uh, think about uh, little tiny churches that barely have one nostril out of the water, and on the other hand, think about mega churches. What kinds of things do they have in common? Well, they gather for worship, and they have Sunday school classes, and then they send out missionaries. And when missionaries get to wherever they're going in Ooga Booga land, what do they do first? Well, they have to learn the language. And once they learn the language then, if the language isn't in a written form already, then they have to reduce it to writing. And after they reduce it to writing, then shortly after that, then they translate the Bible into the Ooga Booga language. And after that, then they teach people to read their own language and then to read the Bible. And then they have Bible studies. And then they teach people to memorize the Bible. And then they start Christian schools. But it's all the same thing, whether you're talking about a little tiny church that can hardly get it together, or a huge church. It's all the same thing in this regard. It's word-based. It's based on learning the Bible better and passing that on so other people can learn the Bible better. And the reason for it is because grace and peace come along the path of getting to know the Lord who is the giver of grace and is the Prince of Peace. So Peter's greeting is really a prayer for God's multiplied blessings on those to whom he's writing. What can we say about what's in your future? Multiplied blessings, right? That's God's intent. So Peter's the author. We don't know very much about the first century believers, but they were believers. Peter's greeting is a prayer for more blessing, more peace 
through the knowledge of God, and so what do we do with this? Well, certainly, as I already said, there's the inference, get into God's Word more. Is there anything you can do more? Let me suggest something. You can get a Bible app. version is a great one. I really like it. It's a freebie. Uh, besides it being free, you can listen to it. You can read it. it it's, it's wonderful. Get into God's Word more. But now I'd like you to come back with me to the foyer at Bethany Church and to Bonnie and Woody and their kids, Jennifer and Susan and Allison, as they come up the stairs. Think about the family dynamics that led to Woody clearing his throat <clears throat> to get his kids' attention that they're supposed to greet me. What had to happen? Bonnie and Woody had to have some conversation where they agreed that this is the way they're going to raise their kids. And they had to also get it in their own minds that greeting people is an important skill. And that greeting people is not something that kids come by naturally. And that if kids are going to get this skill, they're going to have to practice it over and over and over again, even, even with clearing your throat nudgings from your father. And they had to communicate to their kids that smiling is an important part, and looking in the eyes of those that interact with you is an important part of growing up to be a responsible individual in our world. And that takes us then to this question. What does it look like for us as a congregation to be a more God-honoring place? It's where we're looking each other in the eye when we see each other, not glancing at the floor. It's where we smile at each other and engage one another. It's where we take an interest in people so as to follow up and see, is there anything that I can do to promote God's grace and peace in another's life? That's the fellowship, that's the community into which the Lord has drawn us by the work of the Savior, and that's the work then to which he is calling us, to be good greeters. My guess is you can be a better greeter than you were today when you came in. Or do you think you have it nailed? I think you can be a better greeter. I think you can take more interest in people. And I think there are plenty of people in this room that need others who will take an interest in them. Like there's one right up here. I could benefit. You see, greeting isn't just for older people. It's for young and old. It's not just for church people. It's for husbands and wives. It's for kids. The whole community of the people of God are called to be greeters as we see Peter greeting these Christians to whom he is writing. And in our greeting, what are we hoping and what are we praying that you will experience more of God's grace 
and more of his peace. And if there's some way that I can move the ball down the floor a little bit in that direction in the way that I relate to you, I want to do it. And I want to be part of a group of people that are doing it too. So here's a pretty simple four-step process that you can take away for this next week. First thing, take the initiative to make eye contact with people. Secondly, smile when you make eye contact with people. Third, be the first to speak and welcome them. Demonstrate that in relationship with you, they are welcomed because of Christ, and they're cared for, and they're loved. And four, then do whatever other thing the Lord brings to your attention to encourage them to grow in the Lord. Husbands and wives, kids and parents, older adults and younger adults. So let's try to summarize. Peter is the author. He's writing to Christians. We don't know much more about them. He's got a greeting, grace and peace to you, and the takeaway. Be more a greeter for Jesus. And that leaves us with this question. How have you been doing? Um, how do you say hello? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask you to bless it to us and to change us by it. Make us more like our Savior who has welcomed us into the eternal heavens through his sacrifice on the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name.